We're in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. If you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 1028. 1028. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The book of Revelation breaks open with this word, revelation, the apocalypse. But with that word, our generation immediately thinks of wars and famines and the surveillance state and storms and natural disasters and rapid climate change. The original word actually refers to things unveiled, things disclosed to us. Picture the pulling back of the curtain of a theater. Picture the removal of a cover over a box. What does the book of Revelation unveil to us? It begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it is the revelation by Jesus. But more importantly, it is the revelation of a person. Perhaps no other book in Scripture reveals Jesus to us so clearly. Jesus, from creation to consummation. Jesus, throughout the movement of history. Jesus, present in our current moment. Jesus, in relation to the powers at work in our world. Jesus, the key to human history. What a statement in our world. Jesus, the key to the human story? The Golden Globe Awards were given out last weekend, and one of the headlines read as follows, Golden Globes 2019, forget about hashtag me too, settle for hashtag me, me, me. It's about me. You know, we live in a secular society where... Most thinkers in the areas of science and commerce and education and politics do not think about transcendence, much less Jesus. If we don't claim atheism to be our national religion, at least as a society, we are functionally atheistic. We place at the center our thoughts, our ideas, our desires. The book of Revelation unveils to us that there is actually much more than we see. There is more to our moments than we can know with our innate senses, more to the flow of history than we can perceive or feel. 
We live in a secular society that teaches us to be present in the moment. Why? Because most believe that that is all we have. (laughs) There is no larger story that gives meaning to our moments. And so we just live. We experience. At best, we can live each moment to the full. Be present. The book of Revelation, it offers a different reading of reality around us. It provides us with a new understanding of the tensions in our day, the thoughts, the thought patterns of our world, the future that we face. The book of Revelation is the book of the unveiling because it fills our lives with meaning from beginning to end and throughout eternity. Our lives filled with purpose and meaning. John testified to all that he saw, verse 2. So Paul, sorry, John, the Apostle John, he is witnessing to the word gifted to him by God. The book of Revelation is not the fruit of John's fertile imagination. It's not his exercise in creative writing. It's not some literary device trying to capture our imagination. No, he experienced the real thing. He was in the presence of God. He received visions from God. And he transmits them to us. So what kind of literature is it? Well, first of all, it is apocalyptic literature. A kind of literature, a genre very common during the time that this book was written. It's a genre that's rich in symbolic language, numbers, images, highly visual. Daryl Johnson describes it this way. Apocalyptic seeks to do two things. First, It seeks to set the present in light of the unseen realities of the future. For if we know what the future holds, it determines the choices we make in the present. Second, and more importantly, it seeks to set the present in light of the invisible realities of the present. The fundamental conviction of apocalyptic literature is that things are not as they seem. It's apocalyptic. It's also prophetic. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So John writes down prophetic words that he receives from God. The words are rich in colorful imagery, symbolism. Most of the images come right out of the Old Testament. And as characteristically happens with prophetic literature, those who read the word, those who hear the word, the expectation is that they will live in obedience to it. So it's apocalyptic, it's prophetic, it's also a letter. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. This letter, it is written to seven real local churches in Asia Minor, what is today known as Western Turkey. They are real churches going through real life situations. They are tempted by the seduction of Rome, the the pleasure, the wealth, the power of their Babylon. They're tempted by internal compromise. They're tempted by by accommodation. They're increasingly afflicted by, by persecution and they come under public shaming. Most scholars agree that those seven local churches also represent the universal church, the church worldwide, and the church throughout history. So what is given to John is for the local church in the first century, but it is also for us today. And what would Jesus say to us today? 
Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Soon take place. And you might ask, well, okay, if this letter was written to local churches in the first century and the book is talking about things that must soon take place, then how is it for us in this 21st century? Well, we must remember a number of things about time in the scriptures. First of all, time from God's perspective. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Second, we recognize that some things are addressed very specifically to local churches in Asia Minor. But at the same time, much of the book refers to the, or speaks of the return of Christ and the events immediately preceding it. So, for us as well. And then third, the word soon in the New Testament. It refers to the next events in the history of salvation. And their timing is intimate. They could happen at any time. So we need to remember 2 Peter 3 verses 9 and 10 as well. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what would Jesus say to us today? That's our question. Our sermon series is entitled Church on Fire. So, my Pentecostal friends, when they hear that title, they get excited because they're always praying for the church to be set ablaze. And my more conservative friends are a bit worried and they wonder why they haven't called the elders to to, to bring in the fire department and put this out as soon as possible. Why the title? Church on fire, because in the vision of Jesus, his eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His face like the sun, shining in full strength. Jesus is on fire. Church on fire, because in the first century, the church is going through the fires of persecution. And truly, the church has suffered persecution throughout its history, and in our day, like never before. So, church on fire, refined through the fires of persecution. And church on fire, because that is what Jesus desires for us. He wants his church to be hot, hot in its faith, hot in its passion for him, the truth of God burning in our hearts, church on fire. So John writes, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The word of God is to be read aloud in the churches, but not only read aloud, it is to be kept The blessing is not for those who just read or for the curious or even for the studious. It is for those who hear and keep. Keep means put into practice. So when we read the book of Revelation, we're actually reading an everyday discipleship manual. It speaks to real-life situations. As we read through it, we will find the Holy Spirit speaking to us, our situation in our day. The good news for disciples of Jesus like us in the 21st century is that 
if we pay attention to the revelation and live in light of it, we will be blessed. If we pay attention to the revelation and live in light of it, we're blessed. You see, in the first century, the disciples of Jesus, they needed to stop and pay attention because the blessing that was spoken of was counterintuitive. You see, many followers of Jesus, they were losing their standing in society. They were coming under public shaming. Many of them found themselves on the margins of the trade guilds, and so they had to stop and pay attention. Okay, Lord, what are you saying about blessing? Why should we not compromise? Why should we not accommodate to the ways of our world. I know you have your smartphones off, but just remember them for a second. In the 21st century, in our always connected, internet in the pocket, always on reality, where many people are absorbing media eight to nine hours a day, where we are just bombarded with information and it's harder and harder to sift through the misinformation more than ever before we require the discipline to stop to truly stop and listen and hear the word of God hear what the spirit is saying to the churches and ask the Lord what it means to put it into practice Marshall McLuhan, he's a communications theorist, he wrote this. All media work us over completely. They leave no part of us untouched, unaffected, unaltered. And if that is true, we desperately need the word of the book of Revelation in our day. In our culture, as you know, well-being, well, that's determined by your level of income. It depend, it's dependent on the social support you receive. It's dependent on the freedom that you experience. Individual freedom is at the top of the value list. That's number one. So if we think that following Jesus is somehow going to bring our happiness meter down, if following Jesus will mean that there will not be some job opportunities available to us. If following Jesus will mean less promotions or public shaming or more criticism, will we still follow Jesus? It's a serious question in our day. We're overloaded with information. We're messaged all the time, but we desperately need wisdom. The book of Revelation, it opens windows for us so that we might hear See and follow. What would John, John the disciple and friend of Jesus, John the pastor, John the apostle, what would he say to us? Verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. John writes, receive a blessing from God. Three in one. Grace, undeserved favor from God. Peace. Uh, peace with God 
an inner sense of, of well-being, a deep sense of well-being because the Holy Spirit abides in us. Grace and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. That's a, a play on the name that's revealed in Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. And so grace and peace from the eternal Father who is never changing. Grace and peace from the seven spirits who are before the throne. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. So grace and peace from the Holy Spirit in his fullness. The seven, it refers to completeness, to perfection. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, the the faithful witness who made the Father known, who came full of grace and truth. Moved into our neighborhood and he was faithful right to the end. Grace and peace from the firstborn of the dead. From the one victorious over death who guarantees our resurrection to glory. Grace and peace from the ruler of kings on earth, the one who is reigning sovereign over all things, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Grace and peace from Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Grace and peace to you. The good news for disciples of Jesus like us in the 21st century is that the author of the revelation, he blesses us with lasting grace and peace. He gives us what our world could never give us, what the 21st century will never be able to give to us. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit extends a blessing of grace and peace on us. We need to know whose blessing we want. In 92 AD, the emperor Domitian, emperor of the Roman Empire, he renamed the empire, eternal empire. He called himself everlasting king. His desire was to unite the empire, and so he asked that all, actually demanded, that all his subjects worship him. Each subject was to go to his temple, his temple and found in cities throughout the Roman Empire, to go to his temple and there at the altar to him, throw a pinch of incense on the fire of the altar and then just say three words, Caesar is Lord. That's all. Do that and then go and do your business. Believe whatever you want, but just do that. The Apostle John, he faced quite a choice, and he chose Jesus. He said, I don't want the blessing of Caesar, I want the blessing of Jesus. And because he chose the blessing of Jesus and refused to worship Caesar as Lord, he was banished to the island of Patmos, banished to the rock quarries of Patmos. But there on that island, he received the book of Revelation, 96 A.D., You see, the revelation, it puts before us the most crucial of questions. First, whom do you and I really believe rules the universe? Who do you and I really believe has the power to extend blessing to us? And then, whom will you and I choose to worship? Who will rule over my life, over your life? That's the fundamental discipleship question. Who will rule? To whom will I go for blessing? Who will be at the center? The book of Revelation says 
to those who put Jesus at the center, grace and peace to you from God the Father, the eternal Father. Never changes. Grace and peace to you from the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Grace and peace to you from Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler over all kings on earth. Do we want to live under that blessing in 2019? John, he then breaks into worship. End of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The Jesus who extends grace and peace to us, he's worthy of all worship. Why? Well, he's the one who loves us. Did you notice the present tense? And so Jesus, his love, it's personal, it's current, it's ongoing, it's faithful, it's unwavering. In Revelation, he walks among the churches. He knows us intimately, Willingdon. He sees us. He is present here by his spirit. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Notice the past tense. By his shed blood on the cross, the price was paid for our sin. We were bought back. We were redeemed, freed from the bondage of sin. And so we can walk today free of the powers of lust. Free of the powers of greed, pride, anger, bitterness, jealousy, divisiveness. Freed from the weight of guilt and shame. Free. Now, the world may look at us and say, oh, those followers of Jesus, they are alienated. They are bound. But the truth is that in Jesus, we are actually in sync with ultimate reality, and we are truly free. The world around us may look at us and say, oh, those followers of Jesus, they are so narrowly minded, so bound to another era. But the truth is that the Spirit of God has opened our minds to truth, to the larger story. And if we see the larger story, we know that life is not about hashtag me, me, me. Hallelujah! See, he loved us, freed us, so that he might transform us into his likeness. He made us to be a kingdom. Do you understand who we are in Jesus? We're sons and daughters of King Jesus. We have a new identity. We are full members of the kingdom of God. We are to walk full of his spirit, dead to sin, alive to Jesus. That's our royal identity. We do not get our identity from the world around us, from the messages that are sent our way. We get our identity from the revelation of God. He's made us to be priests, mediators of his blessing. Mediators of his blessing to people that are enslaved by sin, by the world, by Satan himself. Carriers of his presence in this world. So the good news for us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century is that the one at the center of the revelation, he provides us with all the love, freedom, and purpose that we will ever need. In Jesus, we have all the love, all the freedom, all the purpose that we will ever need. 
You see, Jesus didn't give his life so that we would be a fearful church in the 21st century. He didn't give his life so that we would be a barely surviving church or an isolated church. He gave his life so that we would be a kingdom. Sons and daughters of the Most High, living with purpose, mediators of his blessing in our homes, in our schools, in our places of our work, in our neighborhoods, in this city, in Canada, and around the world. So how will you and I see ourselves as we walk into our classrooms, our homes, our places of work, as we walk down the streets of our neighborhoods this week? If we see ourselves as the victimized, those that are on the margins, those that are discriminated against, those with a message that no one wants to hear, well, then we will cower in the corner, just trying to hang on, trying to survive these dark last times. But if we see ourselves as full members of the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, intimately connected to the ruler of the universe, empowered by the Spirit of God himself, carriers of the fragrance of God, then we will enter our homes and our places of work and our schools and walk down the streets of the city in a completely different way. How do you see yourself? How do I see myself? Is it the world around that determines how we see ourselves? Or is it the truth of God? Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not be able to stop the advance of the church of Jesus Christ in our day to the end of time. We do well to remember John Wesley. He said, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Now, it is the Lord who sets up his kingdom, who establishes his reign, but John Wesley says something very profound there. Give me a hundred. A hundred who fear nothing but sin and love God with all their hearts. People who truly believe in what Jesus has done, who walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and the world will never be the same. Under the reign of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be channels of God's grace and peace in 2019. Amen. May we be channels of God's grace here at Willingdon and among those that we encounter as we go through this year. Four, verse seven. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The apostle Peter writes that the Lord, his coming will be like A thief. Earlier I was talking about our internet in the pocket, always on reality. A number of weeks ago I was sitting in a meeting and everyone in the meeting had a smartphone and suddenly all of the smartphones went off. Except mine. 
the emergency warning system was being tested, but my operating system is too old. <laughs> so, should the apocalypse happen, please come get me. John writes, Jesus is coming with the clouds. That doesn't mean that he will start to move in the future. It means that he is already coming. He is already on the move. Yes, there is a day coming when Jesus will return, but Jesus is already bringing things to conclusion. He is already moving, and many will weep because for them his coming will be a day of judgment. They have not paid attention. So if we know Jesus, may our hearts be filled with compassion for those who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus. For he says, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty, Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus is the A and the Z. Jesus is the beginning of all things. All things owe their existence to him. Everything was created through him. He is the end of all things. All things point to him. He is the one for whom all things were made. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus, the great I am, the Almighty, the one who is eternally, sovereignly reigning over all things. He's the origin of our story. He's the end of our story. He's reigning over our story, and he reigns over every letter in between. So the good news for us as disciples of Jesus in the 21st century is that we know. We know the one who has the story in his hands from beginning to end. And because we know the one who has the whole story in his hands from beginning to end, we share the good news of Jesus with all that we might encounter. You see, we really do not want life to be all about us. First of all, because it just is not. It simply is not all about us. It is about so much more. The hashtag me, me, me life, the self-centered life, it's a tragic life, it's a deluded life, it's a pathetic life. May we never be tempted by that kind of life. The book of Revelation, it pulls back the curtain so that we will see who is at the center. Jesus. We're given the revelation of Jesus for the time is near. The time is near because the king is coming. And so when the time is near, we do three essential things as we said last weekend. One, we wait on the Father. We spend time in the word of God so that we might hear the voice of the Lord. So that we might align our hearts with his. So that we might see what he sees. We walk in the fullness of the spirit because we cannot walk alone. And when we speak, we witness to Jesus. Because life is found in him alone. As we trust in Jesus, as we hear his word and obey, it changes us. We live in light of his coming. Oh, may we live 2019 in light of the coming of Jesus Christ because his coming is soon. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand for prayer.
So if you are here and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity. You know, Jesus came and he took your sin, my sin upon himself so that we would not stand before God on judgment day in our own righteousness. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, the one who died in our place, took our sin upon himself, when we accept that, what Jesus has done for us, we confess him as Savior and Lord, then we're set free from sin, we're forgiven, and we're gifted with eternal life. We stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. So I invite you to pray with me. This is between you and the Father. Jesus, I thank you that you came and died in my place, that you took my sin upon yourself, paid the price for it. I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. And I choose to turn from it, turn from my independence, my life separate from you, and I choose to turn to you. And I invite you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. Lord, set me free. Send your Holy Spirit to guide me, to lead me, to strengthen me. I want to follow you. I thank you for the gift of forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life, the gift of knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to talk to you. I'd encourage you to go to the I Said Yes banner in the lobby or go to the Welcome Center. We'd love to encourage you on your way. And now a prayer for all of us as disciples. Jesus, we thank you again for the revelation given to John. Lord, as we read through the pages of the book of Revelation, may we hear your word to us, may we understand what it means, and may we, Lord, guided by your spirit, know how to put it into practice in our day. May we live for your glory. May we truly be the kingdom that you have called us to be. May we be mediators of your blessing. May we not live for ourselves, but for your glory and for the blessing of those around us. Oh God, may that be our story, your story written through us in 2019. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.